0: Believe in yourself cause it starts with you And then everyone else will believe you too And if it looks
1: like you're the only believer around Just keep on believing Don't put yourself down Just believe
0: Our guest this week is 50% Native American who grew up in Wayne, Michigan became a boxer and had 113 career fights. Since 2002, he's been the founder and CEO of Aero Strategies, which specializes in IT, engineering, healthcare, and professional services. In 2020, he bought the majority interest in the Kronk Boxing Gym, which has produced 43 world champions, the most of any boxing gym in history. His name, Jeff styers and I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything Is Possible on 760 W. JR. I'm Jack Rosula. This is anything is possible. We're talking to Jeff Steyers, the founder and CEO of Aero Strategies, whose philosophy is Agent for Life. Jeff, welcome and honor to have you.
1: Thank you. Appreciate being here. Let's start by talking about your childhood in Wayne, Michigan, and your mom and your dad, please. Sure, sure. So humble beginnings. Uh, My father um, uh, was a factory worker uh, and worked uh, 33 years without missing a day. So a great example of of work ethic. My mom ran the postal counter at Detroit Metro Airport for 27 years. So uh, through their work ethic and uh, just how they modeled themselves, it was a a good childhood. Uh, We didn't uh, have everything, but we had uh, enough.
0: What's the biggest thing, Jeff, you learned from mom, and what's the biggest thing you learned from dad?
1: Well, for my dad, it was certainly he modeled what it meant to be a a good Christian man. I never heard my dad say a bad word about anyone. I never heard him uh, cuss in his life. Um, Obviously, he showed me a great work ethic. My mom, uh, but, but also being Native American, my, my father, you know, Native Americans don't necessarily express themselves real well or speak often, uh, so my dad was uh, more on the quiet side. My mom was very uh, loving and uh, kind and, uh, and, and supportive in, uh, in, in a, 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 a deeper way. All right. You're a great salesman. <laughs> Where did you get your love for sales? Yeah, I, I think... Um, I think like boxing sales is one of those things that, you know, you eat what you kill. Uh, So I've always liked uh, that mantra and just the intricacies of dealing with people. I remember reading Augmandino's World's Greatest Salesman book from, I believe, the 30s or 40s. And uh, it just resonated with me on how simple yet complicated sales can be. And I like that it was more of an art and not a science, so you can kind of tailor it to your own uh, personal style. You're also a Marine. Yes, sir. I
0: was talking to somebody in Lexington, Kentucky last week, who's 30 years ago went through the 13-week boot camp as a Marine. And he talked about that (laughs) transformation. Paint for us a picture of this 13-week Marine Corps boot camp.
1: Yeah, so it is the culture shock that many portray you show up, uh, you know, for me as the first time being on an airplane at 18 just graduated high school, you fly to San Diego, California, they put you on a bus and your world is never the same again. Uh, It's disorienting. It's uh, challenging. Uh, You don't sleep for the first 24 hours. Uh, First and last word out of your mouth is sir. Um, and it's just it's just uh, transformational in a very challenging, arduous way. Uh, more mental than physical. For me, uh, being an athlete, I was already in good shape. Uh, being from a blue-collar, strict family, I was already squared away, if you will. Uh, so for me, it wasn't as dramatic as it was for others, but it is certainly challenging. Uh, I think that the mantra is... Marine Corps boot camp is the best thing I ever did, but I would never do it again.
0: All right. For people that have served in our military, they have great pride. Every Marine I've ever met, 80-year-old Marine, there's phenomenal pride and there's a brotherhood
1: for all Marines. Why? Why? Well, in, in, in boot camp, you learn right away. So, so you're in a platoon, 92 uh, fellow Marines or recruits, if, uh, if you will. Uh, you learn right away that it's not about you. It is about the platoon. It's about the team. If one person messes up, you all mess up. Uh, analogies of where that's happened in wartime and platoons have been wiped out because of one person uh, or success was gained, but it's always about team, 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 and that that's just drilled in you. Uh, I think for me, uh, joining the all-marine boxing team, I always saw boxing as an individual sport until I got to the Marine Corps, and uh, yes, it was important that you won your fight, but it was really about the team and did you win enough points to win the match. Uh, so that 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 is drilled in the Marine Corps through and through. All right, Wayne, Michigan.
0: <clears throat> you and Rich Helpy mm-hmm. and his wife, Leslie, might be the two most successful s- stories in the history of Wayne, Michigan. Um, what Rich and Leslie have done is phenomenal. Talk about your hometown, Wayne,
1: Michigan. Sure. It's, uh, you know, very much a, a, a blue-collar, gritty city, but when, growing up, I thought it was a Norman Rockwell painting. It was uh, everything that you had hoped it would be as your hometown, but it is a blue-collar town. And uh, um, uh, fortunately for me, I, I met and married uh, my wife, Lisa, who's also from the Wayne Westland area, so she gets it, which was very important to me. But it is a town of great pride. It's a town of, you know, making your own way. Uh, there are no silver spots spoons there are no uh, easy ways out it's just you know you work hard and, and you reap the rewards from that
0: we're talking to jeff styers who also did a little boxing in his lifetime he was 98 and 4 as an amateur he was 11-0 as a pro boxer when we come back we're going to talk about the boxing career of jeff styers and I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760WJR. Welcome back to Anything is Possible. I'm Jack Rasula, we're with Jeff Styers. If you want to learn more, www.aerostrategies.com. All right, Jeff, boxing career. Ninety-eight and four as an amateur, eleven and zero as a pro boxer. Plunkett Cooney sponsored you for a while. Talk about that chapter in your life.
1: Yeah, so I was a, uh, I was a pretty um, aspirational kid. Uh, always wanted to be a professional athlete. At first, it was football, um, but never had the size. And uh, when I was fourteen years old. I went to the movie theater and saw Rocky and, um, uh, just came out of the theater and, uh, it it was life changing. As as corny as that, that, that made sound, it was life changing for me. And I came out into the group of friends, neighborhood friends I was with. I, I pronounced at that time I would be a successful professional boxer, which was met with uh, a lot of laughter and uh, a lot of kidding. Um, but I went home, uh, started, um, reliving what I saw in the movie, which later on to find out wasn't very technically uh, sound. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, started training, uh, built a boxing ring in my backyard, challenged every neighborhood kid uh, to a fight, uh, which I think there was 11 of them, including my two older brothers. They systematically beat me up one after another. And uh, after not relenting, I think my dad looked out the back window one day and uh, finally had enough and asked me if I wanted to go to the boxing gym so we did and um uh old school uh ways uh they put me in the ring the very first day and uh, i got my nose busted open pretty good and the way home my father asked me i think sarcastically was i interested in going back and uh and i was and uh, uh i went back and and kept training and two months into my training uh my trainer told me that there was a fight coming up the next saturday and and he said, bring your stuff because if there's another kid who never fought before, you'll have an exhibition match. And um, I did. And um, uh, there was another kid that didn't have a fight. But there was a kid who was 19-0 and, and the previous year's Junior Olympic champion. And that's who my opponent was. And uh, again, old school, that's just how they did it. And um, I would think I won the first round because I was just so scared I didn't stop punching. Second round, he knocked me out cold. So I came to. Uh, I remember looking to my corner, and they were waving me over. And I went over and sat down on the stool. And they said, "What are you doing, kid?" And I said, "I'm getting ready for the third round." They said, "The fight's over. You've been knocked out." So that was the first of my four losses as a, as an amateur. But uh, I, I I I loved it. Even getting knocked out didn't phase me. And um, it's one of those things that, uh, like sales, the the more you put into it, the harder you work, the better you got. And I started winning. And I started winning tournaments, uh, the Golden Gloves and uh, Pell Tournament, the Ohio State Fair, which was a big amateur show. And um, um, I I just kept at it. Lisa, maybe
0: someday in your future, there's a statue on the (laughs) steps of the Wayne City Hall. You know, a 10-foot statue of Jeff Styers. Anything is possible. All right, Jeff, what does boxing teach us about life?
1: Well, I think the proverbial Mike Tyson uh, quote, uh, everyone has a strategy until they get punched in the face. Uh, Very true. Um, I think it teaches, you know, obviously we're going to get knocked down in life, but we need to get back up again. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. was very adamant about that. Um, I think it teaches perseverance, self-discipline, fortitude, uh, just all the traits that I think are key to success, whatever that looks like to, to you. Um, I think that those are key traits that uh, only boxing can afford, and those are what I took away from the sport.
0: You and I have shared being in the IT services network, and we both got in because of the same guy. Hmm. A blonde ponytail guy, Texas Tech Raider football player, Bobby Guy Stevenson. In 1991, you become a recruiter for cyber. Why'd you do it?
1: after uh, after i left boxing um i didn't have a degree and no real world experience and so i got into sales and i sold everything from carbide gauges to hydraulic seals and packings to computer peripherals when the computer age was just starting and uh i think i was pretty good at it but i didn't like selling a product and so um i did inventory of myself and found that it was the people side of sales that i liked and I just deduced that what better than to sell a product that is people, which is staffing. And so I uh, I looked to get in the staffing industry and uh, never looked back.
0: Are you telling
1: us that there's a difference between product sales and service sales? I believe there are, there is. Uh, you know, uh, you are limited with a product, you are limited. For example, if you're selling a... Uh, laser printer at the dawn of the computer age and it's not compatible with the system, no matter how good of a salesperson you are, you're not going to sell that printer. Um, I think the old adage in our industry is that our product uh, walks and talks and has a mind of its own. And that adds a component and a challenge uh, that uh, a static product wouldn't. But at the same time, it certainly offers a lot of insight, a lot of challenges, but a lot of gratitude as well. There's nothing more gratifying than putting someone in a new career that is a step up in their life. When you sell a product, you sell a product fine, but when you place someone in a job, there's some gratification that uh, exists that only staffing has has afforded me. We've hired a lot
0: of recruiters, you and I. Some were great, some were decent, some were (laughs) ineffective.
1: What do all the great recruiters have in common, Jeff? Well, like boxing, I I think they have grit, they have fortitude, uh, they have strong work ethics. Um, You know, recruiting isn't rocket science, but there are a million little idiosyncrasies that you need to... Uh, understand and command over time uh, how to make a, another person understand what's in their best interest as it relates to the most important thing in their life, at least their professional life, which is their career. You are that agent. You are that person that's leading them and guiding them. And uh, for those that, that, that can combine that, you know, intrinsic part of recruiting with the work ethic and the grit and the fortitude, uh, they are the best recruiters.
0: I've always thought that they also are great listeners. They listen not only with their eyes, but also with their ears. How does one become a great listener?
1: Lisa's listened tonight, so yeah, you better uh, be yeah, careful yeah. what so you she, say here. <laughs> she might say something different. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I I think listening practice what you preach here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I I think listening is a um, is, is a learned trait over time. Um, someone asked me once, "Do I do I speak?" to uh, give a point or do I speak to hear myself talk. And uh, I found the more you listen, uh, the better you are. And and the best way to do that, obviously, is asking questions. And so one of the things that I've tried to... Evolve into in my leadership skills is to ask more questions, even though I know the answers. But I think it, it's a it's a better way of leading by asking questions and letting the person talking kind of own their own space without you being more of a command and control type uh, of a manager. And, and that listening is is so key.
0: We're talking to Jeff Steyers. When we come back, we're going to ask him about April fifteenth, two thousand two. For most of us. That was tax day 21 years ago. For him, it was something special. And I'm Jack Russell, and this is Anything Is Possible on 760 WJR. This is Anything Is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Prasula. We're with Jeff Styers, Jeff, let's go back 21 years. April 15th, 2002, you form Aero Strategies. How did it get started?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a story in itself, I suppose. So um, in uh, January of 2001, um, I was president of a small staffing firm here in, uh, here in the Detroit metro area. And uh, um, it was owned by uh, a well-known family in the area, uh, but they had no staffing experience. And um, the company was losing money, and I was brought on board to kind of right the ship, which I did. uh, But it involved a lot of uh, hard decisions, including uh, firing of friends and family, uh, of, of the family that owned the company. It involved setting them in a different direction than what they had been before. All the moves were successful, but they were not in the best interest, I guess, of the family. And so uh, for the first time in my life, I was fired. And this was right in the beginning of the auto meltdown here in Detroit. And uh, so I started calling my, my contacts and they said, Jeff, I don't know if I'll have a job, let alone, I don't know if they're hiring presidents these days. And so, not having a degree, and um, uh, I told my wife, I said, you know, I think I might try to get my real estate license, because <laughs> I didn't know what else to do. We had just bought our house that we live in today. Uh, the previous owners told me I should go out and, you know, drive a nice car. So we leased a, a Jaguar, and so I had all the, I had all this debt, and now I don't have a job, and. Um, I was really fretting. Uh, It it took me a couple of months and my wife said, well, are are you praying about it? And uh, as a a devout Christian, that was kind of a huge miss on on my part. And I think in hindsight, uh, when I was at this company, I was probably not leading in a servant-based leader model. I was leading from my own point, which wasn't very effective. Um, so I, I thought about it and we prayed, and uh, I decided to start Aero Strategies. And uh, so on April 15th, 2002, um, I started Aero Strategies in a one room office in Livonia, Michigan.
0: What's the culture of Aero Strategies?
1: The culture of Arrow today, uh, yeah, I, I, I couldn't be any prouder of, of the team. It is a, um, well, it, it, for, for one, I, I think it kind of models me a little bit. I'm, I'm a little quirky, and, and, we, and we do some quirky stuff. We we shut the company down uh, one or two days every summer to do something called Fierce Bueller's Day Off for no other reason than it's a movie that I enjoy. Um, we take a bus down to Oshalely every St. Patrick's Day. Um, we do a lot of fun out-of-the-box stuff. We have a fully stocked kitchen at our office. We have a masseur come in on Mondays. We have yoga on Thursdays. Um, it's just a good culture. I think one of the, um, one of the barometers I, I tried to use was to create a company that I'd want to work at. So I remember when I worked at Cyber, a billion-dollar company, I remember they had a vending machine in the kitchen. And I thought to myself, I'm here for 10 11 hours a day you can't buy me a soda so uh, I made sure that we had a fully stocked kitchen uh, with aero strategies we have something uh, we have unlimited PTO so all of our employees can take as much time as they want and as much as people challenge me on that uh, I push back and say if you fi- if you hire the right people you don't have to tell them when to take off uh, at cyber again I would work. Two hours late on monday two hours late on tuesday but then i'd be an hour late on wednesday because i had a dentist appointment and they didn't necessarily dock my pay but i had to fill out a form and it was a big deal and and that kind of didn't resonate uh, well with me so uh, when i started Eero Strategies, i looked at back at all my experience I took the good that I saw from each company, left out the bad, and created this culture that people would want to thrive in. Uh, that we take the challenges out of the way, so we offer a concierge service. So if you have to go to the pharmacy or take your dog to the vet or get your oil changed, we pay for the service; they pay for the uh, for the for whatever they're having done. But it's another way to help them understand a good work-life balance. And I think you know when you have a company that is willing to. Support you and prop you up as much as we do people just want to do their best and it's been a magical formula for us
0: aero strategies has never bought into accepted lived this world of Commoditization that the clients many clients want foolishly want Why do you do it and how have you been successful by not doing it?
1: Well, it, it's, for one, it's to honor of the pioneers like yourself, Jack, who came before me, right? So I started recruiting, fortunately, before the dawn of the Internet. Um, so I remember uh, having three-by-five cards and manila folders as, a, as our systems of recruiting. Uh, you had to cold call everyone, and you recruited. And I just believe that the biggest word missing from recruiting today is recruiting. Uh, so many companies today... Simply get their client's needs, they get the requirement, they cut and paste it, they put it on the job boards, and then they see who's going to respond, and they do a cursory 15-minute interview, then they send it to the client to say, hey, do you want this guy? And I just don't see any value add in that. So from the beginning, uh, I had a mandate that we would never post a job on any of the job boards ever. Um, It's just not something I believe in. There's no value add to the client. So we kind of took this old school approach of recruiting, of going after passive talent, uh, working with them in a proactive manner, finding out what their wants and needs are from a career uh, aspiration. And then we work backwards from that. And And that is recruiting. That's how, how you did it back in the day. It's how I did it back in the day. And even though this uh, technology has a lot of um, uh, affordability that we didn't have access to back, back then I also think it's created a lot of complacency uh, with professional services firms, especially in staffing and uh, our challenge has been to be disciplined not to fall into that trap and to offer a better product to our clients and our employees uh, that others don't.
0: We're talking to Jeff Dyers It's Just Not Words Aero Strategies has been one of the best companies to work for for 19 straight years. Um, tall cotton. All right, let's talk about the various offerings. IT technology.
1: Sure. IT is what I did as a recruiter. It's what I knew, uh, so it was a natural step. The ugly little secret there is I'm probably the least technical person you'll ever meet in your life. I I remember when I first started recruiting, I thought COBOL was COBALT, which there is a language called COBALT, but it was a department of defense language and it wasn't what ford motor company was looking for <laughs> so i uh it, it took me a while to understand and i'll be honest with you even when i was a, a good recruiter i couldn't tell you the difference between COBOL, cics mainframe language and the new visual basic informics uh, client server type languages i just never understood that what i did understand was the client's needs and, and who my candidates were and what they were looking for. For me, it was about matching acronyms mostly on their resume, but then talking to the individual about what they really wanted. And when I focused on that, I was able to circumvent my lack of technical prowess and uh, uh, eventually help them. Engineering services. Well, we're in the Motor City, right? Uh, It's hard to be a a strong staffing provider when you're not offering engineering services. Uh, So uh, 13 years ago, we started the engineering division, which uh, grew and and, and continues to thrive. Um, What's interesting, though, is we're not in any of the big three. Uh, We have a number of Tier 1, Tier 2 suppliers, but we do mostly... um, Uh, component engineering, uh, component companies. We do civil engineering. We do mechanical. We do chemical. So it's kind of the periphery of what you would think of a company in Southeast Michigan doing engineering would do. But that has served us well as it's kept us very diverse uh, in the engineering market.
0: If you want to learn more, www.aerostrategies.com. Professional services.
1: Professional services is near and dear to my heart. You know, IT is IT, engineering is engineering, but professional is kind of a catch-all. And so it could be everything from purchasing agents to sales to HR. Uh, procurement and every company has those needs, and uh, it's it's kind of a, a, a wide swath of need, and there really aren't the players in that space as there is in IT or engineering. Uh, so it's one of those it's one of those skill sets that uh, I think if you're good at, you can offer it to almost anyone from a mom and pop type company up to Fortune fifty, and that's why we've we focused on that.
0: All right, the last one. Great demand, <laughs> no talent, healthcare.
1: Healthcare was one of those skill sets that was um, uh, kind of brought to us from our largest client, Blue Cross Blue Shield. We've been a, um, a primary vendor there since our beginning, and uh, one of the needs they had obviously was healthcare. With this, with this migration into telemedicine and uh, being more proactive uh, about and mitigating about uh, healthcare needs, they over time have had a bigger need for nurses. So we've been really successful about taking nurses off of the patient floor and then putting them in a business setting uh, to do quality assurance or compliance or telemedicine at insurers such as Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. But then that evolved further into um, aero Healthcare staffing, which is a separate entity altogether. And AHS, as we call it internally, is all travel nursing. So that has been uh, an opportunity for us to get involved uh, in a different way and meet the patient at the, where their needs are, which is the patient floor within hospitals. And so we've done everything from low-end uh, phlebotomists and uh, intake to ER and med surge. Uh, type nurses. And we do that across the country now.
0: We're talking to Jeff Stiers. When we come back, we're going to go back to February of 2015, and he opens a boxing gym in Westland. I'm Jack Grasula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Jack Krizula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. Anything is possible. 15 of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says... Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol. I'm Jack Brasula, This is Anything Is Possible. We're talking to Jeff Steyers. Jeff, February 2015. You opened the Norwayne Boxing Gym in Westland. Why?
1: Uh, I was working with uh, then mayor. Uh Bill Wild, uh, trying to find a location for another charity that uh, my wife and I uh, support uh, in in, in Westland area there. And um, when I was talking with Mayor Wild, he had told me that um, the old Jefferson Elementary School, where my mom actually went, um, was being renovated to become a community center. And uh, he asked me if I would be interested in in, in hosting a... uh, um, the the charity I was trying to find help them find another home in that in that facility, and I started thinking about it. and The one thing that I always thought was um, boxing has done so much for me, and uh, I wanted to be able to give back in a way that would help other youth in the area. Norwayne was uh, was a is a community, a two square mile community. That was built to support the workers during World War II. And it's where my mom and dad and their families both reside. It's where I was born. And uh, it, back in the day, it was referred to as Shacktown, and um, it was meant to be temporary housing for the World War II um, uh, movement, and it's still there today. So there are a number of social uh, and demographic challenges that Norway has, and my thought was if I could put not just a boxing gym, but a youth development program where we could help kids academically, uh, we could mentor them, we could help them through the challenges that they face, that that might be a, uh, a program that would be well served in the Norway area. So we opened that uh, nine years ago.
0: All right, in 2020, you tell Lisa, honey, we're going to become the majority owner in the Kronk boxing gym, which has produced more world champions, 43 of them, than any other boxing gym in America history. How'd you do it, and why did you do it?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I, I never fought for Kronk. In fact, one of my four losses as an amateur boxer was to a Kronk fighter that I'll, I'll argue the decision, but that's boxing another time, I suppose. Um, you know, when Emmanuel Stewart died uh, a little over 10 years ago, I was at his uh, funeral, and obviously Emmanuel Stewart is, is legendary um, for all those world champions at Kronk. And I met Marie Stewart, his widow, and Sylvia Stewart, his daughter, and we developed a friendship at that time. And uh, I had heard that they were trying to honor Emmanuel's legacy um, after the original Kronk Gym had closed by opening Kronk in a new location in the in the basement of a church on the northwest side. And um, they were trying to raise funding for that. And I had just I had just furnished all of Norway in boxing, so I had the connections. And so um, I offered to, to, to to buy and support um, all the equipment they would need to open Kronk Boxing Gym uh, in the church basement on the northwest side. And so from there, I maintained a friendship with both Marie and Sylvia. And over time, uh, we stayed in contact. And um, a few years ago, uh, they came to me and a number of people were looking to buy Kronk. And, And the fear they had was that people were looking to just monetize Kronk and not really... Um, be involved with it to honor emmanuel's legacy so i started working with marie and sylvia about who should buy it and what should be the next steps and during those meetings marie said you know jeff i i think you should buy it and uh um, i had never thought of that before uh, It's certainly humbling because Kronk is legendary it's world famous uh, and Emmanuel and what he's done. And it was a, a, a huge responsibility in my eyes to honor his legacy and to continue crocking in a way that would be satisfactory to him and, and his family. Um, but we did the deal and uh, um, we started Kronk. Now, now here's two things that I, I found very interesting that happened on the day that we solidified the deal. Number one, um, I received a letter from Emmanuel Stewart in January of 84, I still have that letter. And uh, he had sent me a letter, and it wasn't on Cronk letterhead, it was on Escott letterhead. And I always knew Escott and Cronk were synonymous, but I never knew what Escott was. And um, at that day, they told me that Escott stood for Emmanuel Stewart's Champions of Tomorrow, and the reason that, that that is important to me is because at Norway boxing, our tagline was, we're building champions in life, both in and out of the ring. And so it was just kind of a natural progression to take that program and rename it Escott Emmanuel Stewart's Champions of Tomorrow. And that's what our youth development program is known for today. The second revelation I received was, and I never knew this, but obviously Kronk is red and gold. And you knew as a fighter, if your opponent was wearing red and gold, you had a, you had a fight on your hands. And uh, uh, I found out at the closing that the reason that Kronk is red and gold is because Emmanuel had such a reverence for the United States Marine Corps, which I represented as a boxer for the All Marine team. So knowing that those colors, red and gold, which are so important to me both as a Marine, were equally as important to Emmanuel, and that's what the colors. Kronk still boasts today is the red and gold
0: if you want to learn more www.kronk.com k-r-o-n-k.com or www.escot all right you talked about this legendary Emanuel Stewart the godfather of Detroit boxing 43
1: world champions
0: how did he do it
1: I wish I had that recipe. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know how how he did it. I know it started with with the four original guys here in Detroit. Tommy Hearns, obviously, Milt McCrory. Uh, who was kind of one of my my idols growing up, uh, Jimmy Paul and Hilmer Kinty. Uh, fortunately, I've got to become good friends with all of them and uh, worked with Hilmer on the Boxing Commissioner and the Governor's Office for a while. Um, Milt McCrory still with the program. He's one of our lead trainers uh, to, to, to this day. Um, after the original four... I think Emmanuel's name uh, came on the, on the map. And so for every champion going forward who is looking to regain their title or maybe needing help, uh, started finding their way here to Detroit, Michigan and that, that iconic gym on McGraw and Junction. Uh, you know, the likes of Evander Holyfield, Lennox Lewis, uh, Aaron Pryor, many people who weren't originally from Detroit or originally Kronk fighters knew that to get their game back or to take the next step... They had to find their way through the southwest Detroit streets of of Kronk to get there. And I think... um what Emmanuel has done, and, I, and I've said this before, um, you know, what Emmanuel was doing in a way was youth development. We know the names of the champions, but there are hundreds and hundreds of names of young men and women who aren't world champions, and we don't know their name. But Emmanuel changed their life, and I think that is youth development, and that's what we're trying to continue on in a more formalized way with us, Scott.
0: You mentioned very briefly that. From 2013 to 2021, you were the boxing and MMA commissioner for the state of Michigan, appointed by the governor. W- what does the boxing and MMA commissioner, state of Michigan, do?
1: Yeah, we uh, we, we we regulate and oversee both professional boxing and and, and mixed martial arts in uh, in the state of Michigan. You know, after I retired from boxing, I uh, I had. I had kind of a love-hate relationship with the sport and really wasn't involved in any way. And my former manager, Wolfgang Mueller, who was my manager when I was a fighter, he became uh, the vice chair. Uh, with the commission, and so I started listening to him, and the state of boxing in the state of Michigan was just so bad that I felt compelled that I wanted to get involved first as a uh, as a member, and then later was elected to be the chairman of of both uh, boxing and MMA, and my my goal was to try to make professional boxing and mixed martial arts more competitive, um, have it be more uh, of a surge here in the state as it was in other parts of the country, both through rule mitigation, uh, promotion of the sport, and just general oversight of of both sports. And um, it it was challenging, uh, to say the least. Uh, You're dealing with the government, you're dealing with the Attorney General's office, you're dealing with uh, rules and regulations, your own opinions. And uh, by, I think over my eight-year uh, term, two terms, both lasting eight years, we have did a lot of good rule changes, both for the safety of the fighters and for the promotion of the sports.
0: Jeff Styers, you're the epitome of the American dream. <laughs> Keep us
1: a great, great work. Thank you. I appreciate that, Jeff.
0: Please join us next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Grisula. Thanks for listening. And make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spoke.